This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. Last night's GOP debate on foreign policy presented a pretty clear divergence between the foreign policy thoughts of Ron Paul and pretty much everyone else. That according to Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I think this debate did provide a pretty clear opportunity for Ron Paul to stake out his position and for the other candidates to stake out why they are not Ron Paul. And they and and several of them, I think, especially Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich and to a certain extent Perry, uh, took it as an opportunity to do that, which is to say, to say, I, I'm not Ron Paul and here's why. And they used the example of the Patriot Act and they used the example of the war in Afghanistan and they used the example of uh, a potential war with Iran. But where I think it got interesting is in, in, the, in the nuance of how they talk about the war of Iran. So, so it was interesting that none of them were advocating openly war with Iran uh, and in fact, many of them were really trying to kind of differentiate how they were not the extreme position that they might be painted in a 30-second campaign commercial, which uses five seconds of clip from a Republican debate in which they are trying to draw a distinction between themselves and Ron Paul. But a lot of that context would get lost in such a debate. And I think they were rather disciplined in that respect. The question then becomes is, is this nuanced position, which is – putting pressure on the Iranians all the way from harder sanctions, more extensive sanctions to uh, Newt Gingrich's proposal for drilling oil in the United States to supposedly replace the amount of oil that Iran contributes to the global market, to um, covert operations to undermine the Iranian regime, to um, supporting an Israeli strike. On, I mean, there's a whole range of things from doing nothing to launching a unilateral military action. And the question is, are those intermediate steps credible? Or is it intended to kind of lead in the direction of, well, we've tried everything else and therefore all that's left is uh, military action? Um, I think that, fairly, I think very few of them are anxious for a war with Iran, but I think too many of them, of the candidates who were on the stage last night, are at least open to the idea. And I think Newt Gingrich made this point very clearly. He said that uh, the best solution of all is uh, removing the Iranian regime short of war. Uh, the next best option would be uh, removing them with a war, but the worst option of all would be allowing the Iranian regime to continue in its current state. What wasn't said, or not said in any great detail, was uh, the Iraq war. Michelle Bachman tried to bring it up very late in the process, trying to accuse Barack Obama of somehow reneging on a commitment to stay. But of course, it was George W. Bush's agreement the, with the Iraqis to leave by the end of this year, and Barack Obama merely implemented that plan. Um, but I think, understandable, the, the Republicans don't want the, the American people, especially independent voters, to be reminded of the war in Iraq, which most of them did support, Ron Paul being the key exception. Um, and I, but I also think that what lessons they take away from that conflict and, and a question, even a single question that would have pressed them on that and to apply it as a, you know, to, to, 
to Iran or to Afghanistan would have been helpful. And yet, because the questions were controlled by people who really didn't want to go down the road of reminding people, you know, reminding the Americans about Iraq, uh, we didn't get a chance to, to ask that question. I expect it would be a, an issue in the in the coming uh, presidential campaign where obviously Barack Obama is going to want to uh, highlight that. And I think I think President Obama and his people are smart enough to want to to make that distinction. Uh, but seven years later, a trillion dollars later, you know, what uh, what would you expect them to actually say? Were they uh, unceremoniously reminded of uh, this adventure? Well, honestly, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that that some of them are still unwilling to in any way admit that this was a strategic error. Some might be. And so I think it would have been useful, to, you know, a, a useful exercise for the American people to weigh the seriousness of these different candidates. Are they able to look at something after the fact and say, wow, in retrospect, that was a huge error? Um, are we, do, do we allow our political leaders to admit a mistake? Um, uh, I would hope so, but perhaps the, the, the mentality is that you would never, ever do that because you provide an opening to your opponent. Um, I, I think there was enough intellectual honesty displayed in other areas. For example, Newt Gingrich's comments about immigration, which I thought were really rather interesting and I think did invite attack almost immediately. Um, to suggest that these people are willing to to think and to articulate positions that might be somewhat different from what they've said in the past. There was a uh, an exchange between Ron Paul and Newt Gingrich. Ron Paul was talking about the Patriot Act, and uh, he thought it was unpatriotic, uh, and described the events that led up to the Oklahoma City bombing and Timothy McVeigh, and said, look, this person killed uh, a lot of people, and we effectively deal with terrorism to reduce it to a mere criminal matter and is, uh, is I think, the, what he was going for. And Newt Gingrich's retort was, Timothy McVeigh succeeded. Uh, and I don't want to wait until we lose a major American city. Uh, I want to make sure that these plots are stopped in their tracks before this happens. That is a low probability event, very high uh, death count. We need to make sure that these events do not happen. Sort of a 1% die. Right or one-tenth of one percent doctrine, or one one-hundredth of percent doctrine. I, I think so much of this revolves around one's interpretation of the nature of the threat. How likely is it? How horrific would it be? And so, you know, this is a low probability event, but how low? Um, and I think that it was interesting that it was teed up so early in the debate and did provide one of the most dramatic contrasts between Ron Paul and the other candidates to say that we do not and should not give up our liberties in exchange for security. And, and I think others on the stage were willing to do so on the grounds, I think, I think Gingrich articulated this most clearly, on the grounds that he is very, very fearful of a major terrorist incident involving a nuclear weapon, very simply. The question is, are there ways to mitigate that serious concern short of uh, abridging the rights and liberties of all people. One way to do it is through some kind of targeting, which they also talked about, which I think is a, is a very, can, can lead in a very ugly direction very quickly, which is to say we differentiate people, American citizens based on, on their 
ethnicity or religion or things like that, which I think most Americans find rather repugnant, at least I do. Um, and then there's a question about can we secure nuclear materials? Can we um, hunt down loose materials? Can we work with the few countries that have them uh, to improve the security? And I think the answer is in all cases, we can. Um, and I think that some effort in that direction is wise. Uh, and I think that, you know, so, so laying out the other ways to deal with these challenges short of ab fundamentally abridging the rights or potentially the rights of every American citizen is a worthwhile discussion. Um, and we actually got into it a little bit last night. The one thing that I just wanted to put on the table is, th remember, this question was teed up. It was about the Patriot Act, and it was teed up by a question. I think I'm pretty sure it was Ed, Ed Meese, former Attorney General Ed Meese, who asked the question. He said there were 42. There have been 42 terrorist incidents that's, that have been disrupted since 9/11, um, and I've seen this number bandied about um, before. I think it's worthwhile to to kind of dwell for a bit on what those 42 incidents are, because if you actually look at the details of them, they are almost to a almost to a person singularly absurd. The kinds of people that they are promoting as, you know, the great threat to the republic are frankly a bunch of incompetence. And, and I think occasionally it's worth highlighting that fact. We're talking about Richard Reed. Yeah, or I'm talking about bomber, the guy who tried to cut down. Times Square. Yeah, the guy who tried to cut down the Brooklyn Bridge with a blowtorch. I mean, you know, so let's be, let's be honest with the American people about the nature of the threat. And if you, if you actually document the threats that he, he – he's basically lumping together. All 42 incidents are like 9-11. Well, no, they're not. They're not like 9-11. Let's look at what each of these incidents are. The other one is another you – know, the guy who was going to blow up the, uh, the fuel line, remember, from Newark Airport to, 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 to New York. It's like every single person that looks at these plots with any degree of just kind of dispassionate, rational thought. So these are absurd, and, and I think um, it's useful to have that discussion. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can get your copy of Preble's book, The Power Problem, at our website, cato.org.